My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Ishita Sharma. I've had the privilege of sharing space with Ishita on a number of occasions over the past year. And what she does for people, or at least what she's done for me, is hard to put in words. You'll hear us make an attempt on our conversation today. So I'll say this about Ishita. She has been on a remarkable journey. She was born in Haridwar, India, grew up in the Garhwal Himalayas, and has always been fascinated by the rich religious and spiritual mythology of the culture she comes from, but felt that she was looking for an even deeper framework to explain what felt obvious to her, that we are all connected. Over time, she came to the U.S., studied as a physicist, turned to architecture and design, practiced as a multidisciplinary artist working with paint and sculpture, and eventually she came into this unexpected and profound shift in her consciousness, a recognition that the answer to whatever it was she was seeking wasn't out there somewhere in the world waiting to be discovered, but rather inside, and that all of us are all already whole, and that we carry whatever it is we need inside of us. Today, Ishita works with contemporary visionaries and spiritual seekers to create futures that are free of past limitations. And as you'll hear, she is a remarkably unique and singular human being that nonetheless invites all of us into our own remarkable uniqueness. If you find yourself moved by what Ishita shares and how she shows up in our conversation today, she's hosting a nine-month course through her organization, Come to Center, and there's some audio at the end from her inviting you into that. I highly recommend you stick around and listen to that invitation. If it speaks to you, it might very well be the best investment you've ever made in your life. So let's get settled in and hear what Ishita has for us. Hi, Ish. Welcome Hi. to the Wonder Dome. Howdy. <laughs> oh, it's so good to be here with you. Thank you for coming in. Hmm. Thank you for having me, Andy. Yeah. So folks who, who have listened to this show before will know that one of the guiding questions is, what is your, what is our fiercest hope for humanity? And as I shared with you before we started recording, what I realized when I started the show is I was surrounded by amazing people who were living the answer to that question even if they weren't consciously asking it. 
And you in particular are someone who's living the answer to that question. And what strikes me as a really authentic, committed, purposeful way. So I'm so touched that you said yes to this invitation and I can't wait to see where we go. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. I don't know where we're going. Yeah. yeah kind I mean, of like it best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Ish, maybe just take a moment and see hmm. what there's a lot here that I want to talk to you about. We had, um, we had a chance to join you for a friend of ours had a birthday last year when we could still all gather together <laughs> in three dimensions. And what was lovely is for her birthday, she didn't say, Hey, let's get together and just party and hang out. She said, Hey, I want you all to come have an experience as a group, as a group of people who I love with ish. And I want, And so, so she made a really conscious choice to say, I'm going to do something different for my birthday. And I'm going to have you facilitate and guide us through something. So my wife and I came to that, that <laughs> gathering. And, oh, my God, it was just so fucking beautiful. Like, Ishta, you just, you just held such a lovely, important space for everyone there, a healing space. I, it certainly was healing for me, and I have a sense that it was for many who attended. And I'd love to hear from you. What was it, what is it like to be, to be the person who on the birthday, you get the call to come and, and host the healing space. I don't, I don't know a lot of people who get that, who get that call. I don't know a lot of people. Okay, full that disclosure, call. that person was a client of mine. So yeah. we'd been working together for, yeah. in intensive ways for, Um, like a long time mm -hmm. and what it's like it's a fucking honor yeah. like it's such an honor to show up for people who want to show up fully yeah. <sighs> what can I say about that like it's like Yeah, it's the deepest fulfillment when you realize you're here to do the thing and there are people who want to do it with you. Like, yes, <laughs> come, get on the party bus. It's like, it's enlivening and it's such a privilege. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And when you say you're here to, here, here to do the thing, I think that's, the, <laughs> that's this really, there's this really lovely way in which it's so hard to articulate what the thing is and yet and yet there's there's so much to feel about it like for instance i remember from that night feeling open feeling emotional feeling a sense of possibility a sense of aliveness in my whole nervous system like you know there's sensation attached to it there's there's all this kind of for lack of a better word information coming through when you're doing the thing, right? <laughs> you're doing the thing when you're healing, when you're connecting to some deeper place inside of you. And I wonder, how do you find your way into that space in your own life? And why is it so important 
that we create spaces where groups of people can find their way into that space of healing and discovery and actualization that you love to swim in? Ah, that's a that's the question, man. Yeah. That's like all the questions. <laughs> where do we start? Um, how do I enter these spaces? Yeah. Oh. You know, I, I feel really blessed in, I'm a very stubborn human in many ways. And <laughs> one of the things that I could not compromise on, and I try to be normal for a long time, is like I cannot separate what I do and who I am. Mm. Because it doesn't work that way, right? So how do I find my way? It's by living it. And sometimes I'm a better liver and sometimes I'm not so good and that's okay. But the intention is always clear and it's always that. So why is it so important, not just to me and in the world, in my not so humble opinion right now is like, if you look at what's happening, we're, we're living in a system that's driven by economics Right? And that comes out of a very limited understanding of oneself and life. Right? And I, I grew up in India. I grew up in India till I was 17. And then I moved here and I went to college in the States and I like, did my work in the States. And it took me years to realize this and language it. But the Western mind is really amazing. Right? Like we've, we've done such wonders with the mind in the West. Mm. And the East has done just as much with heart and soul. And like there's, there's like this deep embodied wisdom in the East that seldom gets to meet and marry this exquisite mind. Right? And what we get when we're just living out of the mind, when we almost venerate the intellect as the only, only thing that's real, right? Like mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, the world we live in right now, we think the only way, the only form of intelligence is the mind. Mm -hmm. And the only true experience is that of the physical. But it isn't so. It isn't so in like millions of years of evolution. It hasn't been so for humans. Right? So it's really important to me to awaken not just the intellect, but allow it to integrate with all these other wisdom centers in every person. Because hmm. if you, you can't integrate that, then you're living a limited life. That's all. It's not a bad life. It's just a limited one. Hmm. And a limited life can never be fulfilling. Because there's something in you, there's something in me that longs to come home. There's something in all of us that longs to be boundless, that longs to return to where it comes from, to return to its knowingness of itself. And like, it's a beautiful way to say it in the yogic tradition. It's called the Sadashiva. It's that homing instinct. Mm. And everyone, like in that room, it was palpable. 
right? Like it's the thing that we crave for under all the cravings. <laughs> yes, it's coming home. Yeah. So it's important if we're going to create a world that works for everybody and let self-interest be the driver. It's important to be in those spaces, to allow those openings to happen, to indulge in them almost. If we're going to create the life that we really are nurtured and nourished by. Hmm. I don't know if this answers your question, if I went off on a tangent, but like. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful place for us to continue to build from. And I'm so moved by what you're describing as, could you say the Sanskrit word again? The homing instinct? Sada Shiva. Sada Shiva. There's a, it strikes me that the, there's a way in which the intellect, for all of its beauty and exquisiteness, is remarkably good at repressing or dancing around or explaining away the Sada Shiva. <laughs> Like I, I've worked with a lot of people who say like, I know that's that over there, but, 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 but this, but that, but this, but that. And I honor that we have real, like the, a lot of those butts are real, but I'll lose, like I need to put food in my belly. I need to keep a roof over my head, but, 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 but. And yet as a result, they are taking themselves away from all these other centers of knowing and feeling that might help them move towards what we're calling home in this moment without excising all mm. parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. How does that land with you? Mm, there's so much that comes up. You know, I grew up seeing people in abject poverty. Like, I remember being seven, and I am always, like, that was part of how I was raised. Like, my mom and I would walk, and we would see people on the street, one limb cut off, one, you know, nothing to eat, like, walking on the street naked, eating grapes out of the sewage, like, you know. And I wouldn't go to that person and say, hey, you need to wake up. Yeah. Because there is a place. There is a place for basic human dignity. Sadhguru says this really well. He's this Indian mystic, and he says, you know, empty stomach, one problem. Full stomach, million problems. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that that predates P. Diddy. What was it like? Yeah, yeah. right but the thing is that like we're not talking about people who are there yeah we're talking to people who know where their next thousand meals are going to come from Mm. Mm -hmm. right and it's a very interesting question like what makes us everything else is so seductive you know like in a way it's just to me it's a symptom of like knowing ourselves just as physical form. If as long as I can only know myself as the sheet that I'm wearing, right? I cannot 
perceive it's it's not in my realm of perception it's not in my ability to move through because i can only know the world through my five senses hmm. it's a very different way of being but we're talking about people who who are I don't know how to say this. Like maybe entranced is the way. Mm. Like mm. we're entranced and we're conditioned and it's repeated over and over again, right? Like how, what's the way to fulfillment in life? Like get lots of money, do really well, get a good title, make, you know, like whatever it is. There's like buy the car, it'll fill the hole that you're feeling in your empty emptiness. There's something or the other, and it's always physical. It's always like a sensory thing. But very seldom have we been inculcated to look outside of that. And I think that's the that's the thing. Like when you're talking about the intellect, like it is a beautiful thing. But the way the intellect works is it serves that which we are identified with. Hmm it's always in service and it's doing its job and it's doing it very beautifully because the intellect is an incredible thing we think of it as a knife mm. it has this amazing ability to slice and we need it right like there's like what is it 300 i'm gonna mess up the numbers don't quote me on this okay forget about this but there's like 130 30 billion bits of information or something like that flooding the nervous system every second. Yeah. And the conscious mind can process 31. Yeah. Yeah. So like we need that thing to like slice up reality so we can make sense of it and create a narrative. But there is another part of our intelligence, which we called, I don't know how to translate, um, sense of self. Hmm. The sense of self is the thing that we're identified with. So if I say I'm Ishita and I'm a woman and I'm X years old and I live here and I'm from this country, whatever, like that's my sense of self. And that is what my intellect will serve. So if we have no understanding in ourselves, no experiential knowing of our own wholeness, then the intellect always is serving my limited understanding of myself which is confined to my experience of the senses yeah so it's as if that 30 or so bits of sensory data that get through of the however millions there are coming through the intellect is going uh, i'm going to pick that one because it affir- it, it reaffirms to me that i'm andy and I'm a guy and I live in Boston mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. or it reaffirms to me that I'm a good person or it reaffirms to me that, that the thing I just spent a lot of money on was a good thing to spend a lot of money on or any, any number, any really pick any choice that you made. The intellect is serving re- and reinforcing that it's finding ways to make sense of that for you. And keeping it secure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, like the people that we speak with who know, where their meals are coming from, who have a house over their head. Right? We've, we've been conditioned to want more. Mm. And it's the, it's the surrogate for safety. Mm. 
So the, we're really risk averse as humans. <laughs> we don't like losing things. Yeah. Yeah. The intellect, especially. Yeah. Really yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, what's interesting is like that one thing I'm really enjoying when you said it's that sense of safety is there's a way in which, again, we can go back to the, the party that you hosted. There's a way in which, and I'll speak for myself, when I arrived to a place where I felt more open mm-hmm. and therefore less, there was less of Andy who does X, Y, and Z and just more of an open sensing, experiencing being. I, I, I felt safe. Mm-hmm. Like there was a way in which actually when I just asked the intellect and the identity to relax mm-hmm. not and there's no like shame or or judgment about those parts of me but just asking them to relax so i can be more open this real deep sense of safety and trust emerged right of course so i'm just just tuning into there's like an interesting paradox there and in that we've sort of outsourced safety to all sorts of things in our economy that (laughs) provide it to varying degrees Mm -hmm. but either intentionally or 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 accidentally take us away from our own inner sense of safety and trust right this is fascinating right like there's there's another thing that's coming up for me like we look for safety in relation Yes, yes. Right? So a lot of us, I mean, most, most of us, humans, I think, are actually intrinsically wired to prioritize connection and belonging above all else. Like, we will give ourselves up. We will abandon ourselves, our truth, our heart. Like, we'll, we'll do all kinds of things to belong. Yeah. Right? And this is, this is a... F- maybe a divergence, but it feels really related, right? What happens in that room? I mean, this is a great thing for me to think about. I don't know. What happened in that room is a de-armoring. Not because Mm. of anything I did. Mm. Not because of anything that you guys did even. But there was a possibility to show up without armor. There was a possibility of being accepted, of belonging, without needing to be a certain way. Mm. Mm. And that possibility is always here. Mm. But what you're naming is very beautiful. Like that's the embodiment of freedom, as I see it, is that fluidity between roles. Like, I can choose to be any identity I want. I can wear any identity I want. I can discard any identity I want. I take my clothes off. I take my, put my clothes on. I don't confuse my clothes with myself. I don't confuse my glasses for myself. I use them. And it's just, it's exactly like that. It's like, oh, okay, like, I need to be an asshole right now. Okay, like, what is, <laughs> let, that, let that flow. Yeah. Right? Like, whatever it is, the moment is the, 
is the master. Truth is the compass. Truth is the destination. It's just surrendering to what is being called for in the moment. I'm meeting the emergence with no attachment to outcome, no attachment to how I need to be or you need to be. And we're just there as exquisite, open presence. Mm. Right? Like, that's magic sauce. It's over here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm for some reason getting this really wonderful visual of just a person in the ocean and, and like there's so much of our lives in which we're, we have like a little bucket and we're trying to like, God, empty this out, <laughs> like go this way, like waves get out. And it's just like, or there's this possibility that the ocean is the ocean and we're in it. And if we operate in the way you're describing, if the wave is big, we can choose to dive under it. We can ride it to shore. We can, mm-hmm go to another part where the water is, is, is more shallow and just sit down. Like there's sort of all these new options that emerge when we stop trying to make the ocean be anything other than what it is. Mm-hmm. And the paradox is that one, once we let go of our attachment to making the ocean be something other than what it is, then we're free to do all of these other things that we can't even see because we're fighting so damn hard. Yeah. And as you say that, there's something that, is swimming in me and I want to make explicit like there's a way in which if I'm fighting the ocean I'm defining myself through that Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. like there's someone who's been I've been fighting the ocean my whole life yeah (laughs) I've been I've been here with this bucket every friggin day can you tell me I'm gonna put down my bucket right now Yeah. yeah it's hard because yeah. everything we've been taught is completely the opposite. Yeah. Right? And that starts with the root of, I mean, the Buddha said it, what's the root of suffering? It's ignorance. But what is the ignorance of? It's not not knowing something or understanding it. It's just forgetting who you are. Hmm. Right? It's the ignorance of your true nature. I know this is such a cliche way to say it, but that's really all it is. It's the difference between knowing that I am I'm part of the ocean and the ocean is part of me. And we're interconnected. We're always, like, we cannot be separate. Yeah. Versus a point of view of me against the ocean. And I have to do everything I can to survive, right? Like I have this note, <laughs> maybe not kosher to say, but like I have this note in one of my notebooks from like 12 years ago, I found it a couple of weeks ago and it said, fuck the need for evolutionary separation. <laughs> say, yeah, so say more about that. Like what's evolution? What now having reading that 12 years later, in this moment, as that wave kind of comes back into your awareness, what are you noticing about about that? Oh my god! I like I just laughed. It was so funny, right? Like all my life, I'd been trying to figure this out. Like, how do I put in a words what I know? And I couldn't even like admit it to myself for such a long time because I was such a scientist in so many ways. Yeah. How can you? How could I articulate and understand and like make sense of and like prove? 
what I knew in my bones, the oneness of all things. Like that was always obvious. Like the rest of religion and spiritual, nothing made sense. And I didn't really like think, trust them with anything. But I was like, this one thing I know, but I couldn't mm-hmm. like make sense of it. Right? Mm-hmm. And the question I held for a long time was like, what is it? Like I, well, the first thing that had to happen was Ishita had to surrender her not knowing this. And there was this amazing moment. Like I remember I was being harassed in my job in Dallas. Like work was a shit show. I was like trying to do all the stuff for the architecture. I was breaking up with my like 10 year relationship was like just falling apart. Like there's chaos in every dimension of my life, every dimension. Like I, my whole worldview about who I was, my place in it, like how people operate, like completely different paradigm. And I was like standing amidst this turbulence and just looking. And I was like, so lit up. I was like, I don't have time for any of this. I don't care. You fire me, you break up, you go, I don't care. I'm the cusp of a breakthrough. And I didn't know what. But I just knew it was getting very clear. Like I was standing in the middle of my bedroom and I was kissing the Bhagavad Gita and jumping up and down. I'd never read the thing, never read it, but I (laughs) always had it. You know, I was like, I love Sanskrit. Like it's my guru. I love hearing it, speaking it, touching it, like writing it. And I was standing there, like that was freedom. I was like, I don't care. I don't need to read the book. Like none of this matters. Like, because I know it, I am it. And in that night, like there was this amazing thing that happened. And I was like, oh shit, I cannot understand what I know. Like it is impossible. It cannot be understood. Mm. Mm. My little physics brain cannot make sense of this. Mm. Really, I was the kid in my physics classes where I was like, and excuse me, and what about the nature of consciousness? And how do we explain this? And they'd be like, you can't ask that here. <laughs> Yeah, we don't, those physicists are really uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like, oh, like to see through the limitation of that mode of operation. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had been twisting and turning and like trying to make sense of it. And like the question was so clear. It was like, I think my email signature at the time was like, why can we throw out a question farther than we can reel in an answer? I was very annoyed by this and I was very intrigued by it too. Like, what is happening? Mm. <laughs> right? And that day, that signature went away. I was like, done. There was this like completion. And like, of course, like it cannot be answered. They cannot, you cannot prove Right? The proof is in me. I am the proof. Mm. So I cannot prove to you what I know. I can only know it. Mm. I cannot prove to myself, actually. No, I didn't even care about it. I was like, I can't prove to myself. This doesn't matter. Wow. And then it's like, oh, okay, then what is it? Then I know this truth. Like I accept it. I surrender to it. There is just one thing. You are it and I'm it and my water bottle is it. Like, I get that. Like, that, I, there's no debate anymore. But then why do I find myself looking out of these eyes? And why do I live in a world where I feel separate in so many times, right? And there was somebody, like, I, I used to go to argue with 
people at the ashrams and I used to say, and they would say, you can't ask this question. It's a transcendental question. And like, you know, I was not very excited about that. <laughs> and then like I found some book and I know it sounds very obvious, but it hadn't like struck me. Right? Like there's an evolutionary need for separation because that's the survival instinct. Yeah. Something that in me, I think, had been very dormant because I hadn't worried about it in that way. So there is that evolutionary need for separation. And as I see that, it's also the invitation to transcend it. Yeah, there's, there's this wonderful... There's this wonderful way in which seeing something for the first time really experiencing it for yourself is the necessary ground upon which you can then transcend it. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that the intellect, as we said, you said it's like a knife. It's so good at, at separating things and organizing things and mm-hmm. categorizing things. Mm-hmm. So it is an extension. It is, it is a natural outgrowth of that survival need that has been driving evolution for as long as it's been happening on this planet. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we seem to be at a really particular moment where at least for those of us who know where our next thousand meals are going to come from, which I love by the way, like what a, what a wonderful way to think about time and life. But for the, at least for us, for those of us who know that and can answer that question, the the need to survive and that and the behaviors and ways of being that extend from that need not only are no, not relevant they're actually counter adaptive or maladaptive mm. to this part of us that the intellect simply is not designed to know if everything comes together as one and the intellect is designed to separate things into many ones and zeros you can see how those two start to become at odds with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to, there's something important to note here, right? Like, I feel like we as a culture, not just live in fight or flight, but we also, um, we're very seduced by it. Hmm. Say more about that. Hmm. So the clearest way I see it is the attachment to being busy. Mm -hmm. That's a symptom of trauma. Mm -hmm. We're the only creatures in existence who will intentionally deprive ourselves of our basic needs, of our need to sleep. Mm -hmm. When I first realized that, it struck me. And I was the person in my architect, I was an architect, and then like 4 a.m. in the morning, I would be the only one in my office working on the building. Mm. I'm going to work on my building and the next person's because they weren't doing it well. Like I was that person, you know, I was like, no, no, need to do mine. And then also like this isn't going and all of those things like overdrive, like 70 hour weeks, you know, Mm. pleasure of intensity. Yes. And also compulsivity. Mm. And what I notice in the culture is there's an attachment to stress 
it's sub it's a very subtle way that it happens but we're rewarded for being stressed out yeah yeah the message is almost like i'm so busy because i'm very important right <laughs> like yeah. my calendar is full and the, there's a subtle way in which we use complaining in the culture to connect to gain mm. acceptance Mm. Mm. which is literally I'm wearing stress as an honor badge when I joined that. Well, and, and what strikes me is like we would do part of the reason that's so seductive is because now at least in the midst of all the busyness and all of the choices and all of the ways in which we're being, our attention is trying to be grabbed and activated and pulled in all these directions. At least we can just say to each other, we share this, right? So it's like, <laughs> even in that, even in that kind of dysfunctional way, it's back to that belonging again. It's back to that yeah. way in which our need for for some external verification of our worth has us contorting into all sorts of really unhealthy and uncomfortable positions at our own detriment. Yeah, yeah, okay. and it's just such a tragedy that that it's that ignorance you talked about, uh, like just the ignorance of of your true self that your worth as at the end of the day at the end of your life whatever that is whatever comes next your worth no one's going to look at your calendar mm. wow that's a beautiful way to say it yeah mm. yeah my colleague Francis Breyers, who was a guest on the show, and he's just a really wonderful soul. If you haven't listened to his or know of his work, you might listen to that one and get something from him. But he just mm-hmm. sent us an email today, mm. and he quotes Leo Tolstoy, which Tolstoy is quoted as saying, "If then I were asked for the most important advice I could give, mm-hmm. that would that which I consider to be the most useful to the people of our century, I should simply say." In the name of God, stop a moment, cease your work, look around you. Oh. Mm. Yeah. I wonder... I might also, I might rephrase that and say, look inside you. <laughs> uh, Whether you look around or inside, you eventually get to the same place. Probably. Uh, and I find it's a lot. I don't know. The journey begins inside. Mm. That's so beautiful. This It's... This, I don't remember his name, but there's a Kashmiri Shaivite leader of some kind. I don't remember his thing, but he said something really amazing. He said when this thing happened, the coronavirus broke out, he said, the only thing that'll save humanity is some implant into their brains that constantly reminds them of their own mortality. 
Yeah. You know, there's this, and, and what's fascinating to me in this moment is the way in which that, that wisdom has shown up in many traditions across many cultures over the scope of human history. The way in which we are, this, what we call this life is finite. Mm. experience as what I experience as Andy this mm-hmm. experience of Andy is finite mm-hmm. you know so there in the Buddhist tradition there's there are meditations specifically designed to to meditate on that finitude and the way it will come to an end and, and stoicism the Greek philosophy of stoicism is about engaging with that mentality even if we look or maybe especially if we look to indigenous cultures to first nation cultures there's a way in which there's a humility about like that the land the stars the the elements how how infused the recognition is that all of those things were here well before us and will continue well after us (laughs) and so when people hear that that thing of like bring that awareness of your mortality to consciousness it can feel really scary. But the truth is that the awareness is there constantly okay. unconsciously. Like exactly. it's like the thing we're always dancing away from. Exactly. But exactly. if we can just sit with it, there's this wonderful, beautiful surprise that, that a lot more freedom and space opens up because now you're not expending all of this energy below the surface just to stay away from that, just to not look at that. It's exactly it. Like, that's the gist of this work. Yeah. It's the gist of how to live here well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you put it so beautifully. <sighs> but that's the thing. I mean, you know, in one of those courses that we were teaching this happened and we saw it so beautifully in the group like the fear is all the fear is always existential no matter what it is like fear of a shark fear of like doing it wrong fear of losing love like there's an existential threat tied to fear because it works on these like false dichotomies it sets up false dichotomies And underneath all of it is this like fear of our finite self. Mm. Fear of losing what we know, the familiar. Which is the fear of death. And in truth, we're dying every moment. Like that's the only finality. Like I'm marching closer to my grave every day. And God, I'm grateful for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the fear, like, there's another, there's like, how do I say this? It's not the fear of death that we're living with every day. It's actually the fear of that freedom you named. Oh. It's the fear of 
that complete, right, openness. Opening fully into the unknown. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what is... Given, given your work, why is opening fully into the unknown so existentially scary for so many of us? Because mm. it asks us to really, really let go of all the things we've taught, been taught to hold really tightly onto. Yeah. It, it questions everything. Yeah. There's a very beautiful way to say this. In the yoga cure, they say the safest place to fall is a bottomless pit. <laughs> right? Like it's uh, the safest place to fall. You're always falling. Hmm. But are you falling in resistance or in surrender? That's the only difference. Are you falling consciously or unconsciously? Hmm. I love but that. But the freedom of that fall, that's juice. Yeah. yeah, there's this way in which you, you, I just got this wonderful image of, you know, at some point you're falling and you're, ah, you're screaming, you're terrified. At some point, you just, that's going to go away. Yeah. And it's then you like go, you in the room with me in that evening, yeah. if you remember, like there was a point between us. Yeah. I don't know what we were in but there was a point at which i just took my armor off and there i was swimming in the hole and you were holding me you were holding space for me yeah and i saw you i saw you enter the hole and you let yourself fall and you named the freedom and the aliveness and the release and the like joy that comes from that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like in a bottomless pit, are you falling or are you flying? <laughs> you could just you could just <laughs> you could just stretch out your arms and realize that you can start to tumble and turn and twist and have a lot of fun in that mm -hmm. space. Yeah. Mm. And you know, it's cool too. Like there's, there's this, the phrase you said, I just, it's a wonderful phrase. You kept, you said how those of us who know where our next thousand meals are coming from. But there's a way in which if we knew, if we knew where, our, what if we knew where our next million meals are coming from or our next billion meals, there's a way in which, Actually, when we start to lean into that unknown and go, okay, but oh, I don't know where my thousandth and one meal is coming from. Mm -hmm. that, that's like, that's a sign to go, oh, let me, let me put the armor on. But if we exactly. instead see that as a sign to go, oh, that's where, that's where I can start to experiment with flying. Mm -hmm. mm. 
Like nature is actually saying to us constantly, this is going to end. This is going to end. This is going to end. And the more we tighten our grip on trying to stop it from ending, the more armor we put on, the less able we're, the less capable. We don't even have the space to move and dance and fly because we're we so tightened life. up. Yeah. Miss life. Yeah. Hey, so that's Go ahead, go ahead. There's something beautiful. Sorry, you just like you just kind of like that image of the bottomless pit just sort of opened up something for me. But I think what I think the last thing on this that's like really exciting that I that makes that makes me feel really giddy right now is this recognition that actually if the universe itself didn't have that element of ending everything we're experiencing right now would never have begun because it would just have been like this pure, perfect crystal of, <laughs> of matter and antimatter. <laughs> and there would be no, there would be no movement. So it's that end. It's that, it's that constant ending it's that entropy, that decay, that dissolution, that is the very stuff of whatever grows next. Mm-hmm. Beautifully seen. It's the three forces, creation, nurturance, dissolution. You can see it in your breath. You can see it in life. You can see it everywhere. There's a rhythm. This is not happening randomly. (laughs) It's no accident. (laughs) We're sitting here this way. There's a deep, deep coherent intelligence orchestrating life it's not a man in the sky waving his wand around (laughs) that's so sad but that's the image that we've come with yeah it's living inside you and you can see that rhythm that you just named in every aspect of your being there is nothing outside of it actually there's something that holds all of it the space in which it happened Mm. the dimension that allows it to be is probably more precise Mm. Mm. and ish there's something about the work you do with groups and maybe as we come down the home stretch you could try and articulate this there's something about because in a lot of ways we've been although we've alluded to the group and alluded to what happens between two people we've kind of been talking about this in an eye like Mm. what a person needs to do and what's happening around a a person but there's this way in which that that dimensionality or that space or that holding environment you just alluded to seems to emerge or seems to I don't know what I don't have language for it but there's something Mm. that happens in groups Mm -hmm. there's so much that happens happens there's so much that happens in groups that that is uh, it's almost like there's just an exponential amplifier of that creation nurturing dissolution like that cycle seems to be able to 
I don't know if it's happening more quickly or with more depth or with more impact, mm-hmm. but there's something that goes on in groups that that's really key to what you do in the world. And I'm wondering if maybe as, as we've been exploring all this for people listening, maybe they could hear a bit more about like, where could they start to look for that in their lives so they don't have to feel like it's their job to just like do all of this by themselves Hmm. and face up to all of these external economic, social, cultural forces that are saying, nope, stay right in that little box. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's go backwards on this. Okay. Right. The first thing is that, is that invitation to actually be still and listen. The first thing is to become still so that what's true for you can surface. In the chaos, and there's a beauty in chaos. But we need some space to see ourselves clearly. We need space from anything to see it clearly. You can't see it when you're in it. Right. So the first thing, this is why in every wisdom tradition, the first thing is meditation, because meditation is, it's not about getting somewhere, doing something, ending your thoughts. It's just sitting with myself. It's me being vulnerable with myself and my life. Hmm. Right? People would say, how do I meditate? And I'd be like, what's the big deal? Close your eyes and feel life. Close your eyes and feel life. Because we need to connect with what is before we transform it. We need to embrace who we are before we can become who we want to be. Right? And often when you start to embrace, you start to really meet who you are with openness and honesty. That's it. It doesn't take much. It's just sincerity. There's a, there's a desire, the seed of desire. If you really want to know, I don't want to know so that I'll feel better. I don't want to know because then I'll have something. I just want to know. Mm-hmm. Like wanting to know a lover. Right? Becoming a lover of yourself. Oh, I want to spend some time. I want to shower myself with this loving attention and hold myself with honesty. That's it. That's the first thing. And it takes courage. I I know it takes courage. Mm. But that's that's an act of radical activism right there. To be still in a world that's always insisting that you move. Mm. Breaking the cycle of compulsion there. And then we come in relation in the same way, right? Like that's what happens in groups. For me, it's really important to work both one on one and in groups with people Mm. because they're very different dimensions. There's an inner dimension. There's the personal healing that needs to happen with that truth and love, with the mirror of truth and love. 
that's what I'm naming, right? With, with myself, I become truthful and loving. With you, I show up that way, right? And in a group, there's so much that happens because if, if we're allowed, if we're invited, if the environment can hold us in that way, we have so many reflections of ourselves. Every person is a mirror. So I can see myself so much more, so much more of myself through the group. I can see how I form my ideas of myself in relation. I see how I form ideas of the world in relation. And then I can start to inquire what's beneath that. Right? So that freedom from that limited identity. There's a breadth and a richness available when the group itself, right? Like not just the people in the group, but the intelligence of the group as a living, breathing thing, because there is one. When you and I come together, there are many fields here. There's your field, your field of being, let's call it. Hmm. My field of being, which includes all my ancestral lineage, which includes all my past incarnations, which includes all my karmic structure and all of yours, right? And then there's these two fields are interacting, which creates a third field, which is the field of our relationship. And it has its own wisdom, its own intelligence, its own compass. And we can tune in. We can be in coherence with it. So that, that just amplifies in a group. And one way, like, I think it's one of the most fulfilling things that's ever happened in real life for me is to see groups acting in that way, like being so cohesed that they move as one. Hmm. That there's no, the parts are not fighting to be special, to be seen, the parts are not identified with their roles. The roles themselves become fluid. So I don't have to always be the one who speaks up first. I don't have to be the one who's always shy. There's a fluidity and a cooperation. It's like those birds when they do their murmurations, right? That's the analogy we often use for this because there's a natural intelligence guiding and the whole group starts to listen. That's the possibility for humanity that we're holding in each of us i forget the question in the beginning but this is the answer to it for yeah. me <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's about what happens what's possible in groups and that certainly at least that aspect of harmonious action fluid connected purposeful egoless, like all of the things I'm hearing you say and what becomes possible in a group when those come together is just lovely. Let me, let me just clarify one thing. You Please. use the word egoless, which I want to be very clear about. This is not about becoming egoless ah. at all. It's about having a transparent ego. Mm. Mm. Right, So I can shapeshift, I can become, when I'm called, like in, in the world, I can show up as a healer, 
or I can show up as, I don't know, an architect. I don't know. Those are just the roles that I've worn or like whatever is needed, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. not identified with how I show up. I, I can show up as the one with all the answers. I can show up as one with no answers. Mm. But there is a certain, you need your egoic structure. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. It's a very important thing. And I think Western spirituality is very lost in many ways because there's a lot of talk about leaving the ego behind and there's no dissolving your personality. No, that's not how I see it. We need a very clear, grounded, strong personality so the soul can come through. Mm. Mm. So glad you made that clarification. The vessel needs to be empty, but the vessel itself must be strong Mm. so the divine can fill it. Beautiful. Thank you for clearing that, clarifying that. That's really powerful. I'm getting this great image. It's like, um, I've used this metaphor before, but I feel like the, in this moment, it feels so relevant. It's this idea that we think of, uh, take an actor. We see, a, we see a beautiful actor, someone who just is, there's something emotionally true that comes through when an actor fully inhabits the role that mm. they've been assigned in the film or the stage on the stage. Yes. I mean, that just lit me up because one of my dear friends and a co-facilitator of mine, she was an actor mm. and she, one day, like we were talking, she's like, yeah, you know how I learned acting. It was always like, they were like, find that part in yourself. So it's not me putting on a role. It's just finding it in myself. It's so different because all the flavors are alive in me. It's the same. It's a different path into the same thing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Mm. I wish we could. I mean, we can talk (laughs) again, of course. I wish we could keep talking now. Is there anything, I just can't wait to share this with, with, with my community of listeners and practitioners and humans who care about this stuff. Is there anything else that you feel called to say before we finish today? Yeah, there is something. Hopefully I can be succinct with it. But take, take the time. Let me, like, the thing that I want to explicitly name is this is what healing looks like. Like, the invitation for humanity, that my fiercest hope for humanity. Yeah. Let's end there. Is is waking up to the truth of what they are or what we are. And embodying that in the way we live. Because just the recognition is not another. But the fiercest hope is that we we will show up fully for ourselves and all there is. Yeah. Without getting stuck in our ideas of conditioning, which is frankly a very social phenomenon. Like it has nothing to do with existential truth. Right? So living the dharma means living aligned with the nature, with the nature of reality. That's my fiercest hope is 
we come back to the natural intelligence that flows through us instead of constantly negating it. It's surrendering to the impulse that is the driving force of life. That's the impulse of creation coming through you. What could be more natural? What else could bring fulfillment? <laughs> hmm. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ish. This is so beautiful. Really glad yeah. we got to be in this space together. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Here's to a world where we all wake up to that, our nature. Hmm. All right. So uh, I'll make sure I have all of your info in the show notes and stuff. But for people listening who are hearing this and are moved by what you shared and by that invitation and that hope, where can they find you? How should they find you online or in the world? Mm, They can go to my website, which is cometocenter.com. Great. which is not just the name of my website it's also the invitation <laughs> yeah yeah Brilliant. um yeah thanks so much andy it's a labor of love and it's a pleasure to be with you same here and thanks everyone for listening all right Thank until you. the next time so if you're intrigued by what andy and i have been talking about that happens in these juicy group containers and you want to get a taste of it for yourself, I will be leading a nine-month journey called Call to Coherence, where we'll explore what waking up and healing and showing up in the world look like when we come together in this unique way. You'll get a taste of energetics, somatics, relational dynamics, And we'll start to integrate your ordinary level of consciousness with something just a little bit extraordinary. You'll learn to see yourself and know yourself beyond the limitations. And the best part is that you're surrounded by other people who also are committed to their own healing and that of the world, which makes this a really powerful and transformational journey. So if you're interested, please go to my website, cometocenter.com, and under events you will find the call to coherence because it's time, my friends. It's time for us to wake up, grow up, and show up to heal the world and ourselves. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serquois, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on, and keep the show going for as long as I'm able. But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, 
and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.